Enzo, oh. what's up, bud? Hello? Hello? Yes, can you hear me? Testing, testing. Can you hear me? No, I can't. Okay. Alright, we're gonna go over uh, Tragic Passing, one of the great soccer players of all time. Uh, I just wanna get your opinion on this. You're a big soccer guy. What do you think this means for the... Uh, Soccer slash football community moving forward. Uh, I think it's very uh, it's a big moment in history. Uh, Diego Maradona, very very famous player. You know, kind of kind of cheap in that World Cup with the handball, but um, yeah. very very crucial to the community. A lot of moves would be a thing without him. You know, big style guy. Yeah, uh, you obviously one of the greatest players of all time in my mind. Um. Uh, wasn't a great human being. Wasn't a great person. Yeah, didn't abuse his body. wasn't the Wasn't a great health guy. Yeah, uh, big on alcohol and drug usage. Yeah, uh, but obviously now that he's gone, what do you think the events or what What do you think is going to take place in? Uh, Major League Soccer and other soccer leagues across the world. Well, I've already seen multiple uh, people pay tributes to Diego Maradona yep. through wearing his jersey under their own or pray or doing some sort of pray or symbol when after they uh, score. Yeah. Or make a great play. Um, yeah. I feel like the soccer community is very respectful towards him, considering he's a legend, no, top yeah. ten of all time, no doubt in oh. my mind. Top five of all time, maybe top one. Some people's, some people's minds. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say he's the best of all time. You know, just because of the tragic passing doesn't make him higher than anyone else that was yeah. higher than him before. But you know, the original Ronaldo could be up there. I'd say. I agree, Ronaldo Hino. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but uh, anyways, that's all you wanted to say on that. I just want to touch on that really, really quick before we get started. Yeah, that that's that's been on my mind a lot. Yeah, I'm not personally a big football guy. I didn't find out until a day after, but obviously it's devastating. Prayers go out to his family. Um, you know, big 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 uh big loss. But yep. All right, so next thing I want to talk about here, I wanted to talk about, and this is by your you're doing you made yourself talk about this. We're talking about greatest boxers of all time. Oh, no. You think it's Muhammad Ali, but it's not. False. So, well, I want to hear Jordan, Jordan, Jordan did show some statistics that were not in my favor as the 44-37 knockouts. Yep, yep I was just about to But we, we did also see the more games played and more games won and less games lost yes. than Mike Tyson, which was a right. huge... Uh, Huge boost in our way. Mike Tyson, I think, lost seven or six, was Mike it? Tyson and, lost six. And Muhammad Ali lost five, I believe. Yeah, but Muhammad Ali did fight in more bouts. So I think that does say a lot about him. I think he's a really good person. Obviously, he did a lot for the Nation of Islam. Uh, like I was talking about last episode, when Jordan came on here last night, um... But he did a lot for the boxing community. I don't think it would be where it is without Muhammad Ali. 
but I don't think he deserves to be in the go conversation. I do actually know I worded that wrong. Sorry, I do think he deserves to be in the go conversation. I don't think he is. I was talking with one of my uh, friends that does indeed box, and he said, "You are a lunatic if you think Mike Tyson is the greatest of all time." People don't even put him in his top fifteen, Andy. Okay. I think, I think, I, th- I think, I think he deserves to be in the top ten conversation. I do not believe him. The thing is, also Muhammad Ali is also known for his amazing footwork. Mike Tyson doesn't have that footwork, the endurance that Muhammad Ali has. Yeah, and um, Mike Tyson, Muhammad Ali couldn't punch him hard that they immediately fell to the ground. Yes, I know, but that that's the that's the only thing that Mike Tyson could do. Yeah, but well, he bit yeah, he bit someone's ear off. Only knock people out, and that's pretty good skill. Yeah, but but didn't didn't Mike Tyson bite someone's ear off? Bit a piece of his ear off. And um, Muhammad Ali's also fast, a lot faster than yeah. I mean, we Mike Tyson on that about the footwork. Yeah, Muhammad Ali greatest footwork of all time, easily. He's like top three. He's also much more known in the boxing community. I think so. Not more known. I think that he's um more known for being better. Yeah. Uh... I I have I have not met many people that say Mike Tyson is better than Muhammad Ali, I and I I hope I pray to not meet another one besides you. I have. I've met Who? Plethora of people. I, well, I think they're all imbeciles, and they have more than forty-six chromosomes. More than uh, I don't know, man. But so I was interviewing people the other day for a video idea. We ended up scrapping the video, Ian Matic. But uh, he was filming me. I was going up to people on the street, asking them who they thought was better, Mike Tyson or Muhammad Ali. Uh, I had six construction workers tell me Mike Tyson's the greatest, and I had two tell me Muhammad Ali's the greatest. Well, you know, also construction workers. What's wrong with they, construction you know, workers? They they tend to get hit in the head sometimes when they're yeah, building. Yeah, so does Mike Tyson. He still can absolutely <laughs> punch at fifty years old. I don't know, man. I just I just don't think your debate is as uh well thought out as mine. Uh, I don't know, man. I think I don't really know, man. Sugar Ray Robinson is better than Muhammad Ali. All right, but that's all I wanted to say on that right there. Um, so I I want to go back. I want to. And based on what we saw at Alonzo. Uh, what 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 did what what did you say on the? Uh, you kind of cut out. I said, uh, Sugar Ray Robinson is the greatest of all time, and now we're moving on. Uh, I want you to talk <laughs> to me about Lamelo Ball. I want you to talk to me about what you see in his future, and I want you to talk to me about uh, why you think Lamelo could or could not be as good as Lonzo is. Um. Well, I'd say Lonzo. He he's an above average player, you know. Maybe you you could put him in the you could, you you could put him there, but what I also like to say is Lamelo. Um. Very. When he was in high school and college, if wait, did he uh, go to college? Not. Yeah, that's what I thought. When he was in high school in the AAU program, yeah. he was very confident. Yep. You know, you see many clips of him up from the logo, hitting yeah. shots 
yeah, you know, breaking someone's ankles very yeah. easily. You know, once once he once he regains that confidence in the NBA, realizes these guys are the skill I am. He'll, I feel, if he gets that confidence he has in the yeah, high school he, playing, um, he did, he um will play. I think he'll play above average in the I NBA. Mean, they, and I, th- I, th- I think he'll make a name for himself in the NBA. You say already. so, man. I think LaMelo Ball, the main thing he has to work on is getting his confidence levels down. Obviously, confidence, major factor in professional sports, especially the NBA. And they're talking about bringing fans back this year, limited amounts of fans. Uh, I think that could hurt many rookies and many second-year players, such as Tyler Hero, who really uh, shined in the bubble, but weren't as good before the – uh, bubbles and then, but also, I think Lamelo, he's too cocky. He wants to be a first option on a team. I don't know if he'll get that with the Hornets, but I think if he well, is the first option, I'd yep. like to say, you I think if, if he is the first option on that Charlotte team, he's not. Well, he he's not, yeah, he's not a natural scorer, all right. So, he's he is a playmaker, that's his ability. He can pass, he can, he's he's a above average defender, like. He needs to work on getting the ball to Gordon Hayward. He needs to work on keeping management happy and not trying to get tons of money. And he's got to work on, in my opinion, if he establishes a personal relationship with Michael Jordan, then I think there's a high probability of him staying in Charlotte for more than his rookie contract. I'd say he can get a contract extension and re-sign with the Horns. What I'd like to say yep. is, uh, I'm not I'm not too happy about the talent that's going to the Hornets. You know, Hornets Terrible are, bad. you know, not not the yeah, the management is not great. You know, Michael Jordan, best player of all time, not not a great, not, not a great. Uh, yes, he's the best player of all time. Wilt Chamberlain's not best uh, player of all time. Uh, <laughs> dude, you say Wilt Chamberlain is the best yeah, player no, of all time. Yeah, I've explained this multiple times on the show. Okay, dude, the game was ten times more he's different back the then. Got the stats. All right, he's got the championships. If MJ, if MJ played with the skill set he had in the eighties and the nineties, he would double Wilt Chamberlain's stats. Wrong. He might double his championship numbers, maybe that. But I think Michael Jordan's teammates are too good to have him be put in the go conversation. The only good, the good teammates, like the Hall of Fame, like good, good teammates Will Chamberlain had was in his last two years with the Lakers. After that, he was, or before that, I'm sorry, he he had average players and good at best. Like, none of those players were perennial all-stars, right? None of those players are Hall of Famers now. MJ only had, like, four or three all-stars in his team. He had team. Dennis Rodman, the greatest career. of all time, one of the greatest defenders of all time. Scottie Pippen, the most under, the single most underrated player of all time. Great, One of the greatest defenders of all time. And he could score. He's a massive two-way player. Phil Jackson, second greatest coach of all time. Second or third greatest coach of all time. And then Michael Jordan, Mike, being Michael Jordan, one of, one of, if not the, in most people's minds, the greatest of all time. I think he doesn't deserve to be put at that number one spot. I think two or three fits him good. Like I just said, I respect him, man. He's a, he's definitely a top two or three player. Uh, I just don't put him at my one spot. I think he had too many good coaches, too many good players. Sorry, cut out there.
Yeah, sorry, couldn't have one. All right, man. Uh, thank you for coming on the show, Enzo. Uh, hopefully, I can get you back on. Uh, let's see what's going on here. All right, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back. See if we can get Enzo back online, fix these issues, and uh, we'll be right back. Fix the connection issues there, ladies and gentlemen. Sorry about that. Uh, Wait, well, we still have all the recording that we just did. Back on, yeah, I just put that back in. Alrighty. Alrighty, now now it's fixed up. Uh, Let's get back to it. So we were talking about Wando, we were talking about his skill set. I think I left off. He's a natural playmaker, I was saying. Then I was passing the ball to you here to see what you had to say on it. Um, you know, I'm just saying, you know, I disagree with your confidence because I feel like he's going to lose a lot of that going into the NBA, realizing, wow, these guys are talents. Um, not the high school that I've been going against. Uh, you know. Played professional basketball last year. Yeah, it's professional basketball. Well, no, the NBA is like, it's like the top of the, it's the best of the best. You know, yeah, but he if if some of the best of or the worst of, them, I guess you'd put it in. But he's seen some good players. Like he's seen, he's been on the high school scene, he's been on the AAU scene, played pro basketball last year. He then proceeded to buy his team after getting signed for an endorsement deal. And I think one of the main things is going to be confidence. Like I already said, like Lamelo needs to keep his confidence down. Or confidence the always to stay up, but he needs to keep his cockiness down. Yeah, I feel like if he regains the confidence he had in that high school era, it, he'll he'll be he'll be great. Not unstoppable, not all star level first year. I, I feel like he can make a name for himself though. Like a Jason Tatum level player? Like oh a, no 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 no! Like a Kyle Lowry level player? Or like I'd say a, like a I'd say like a like um Kyle J- like beginning of Tyler Hero's greatness. Like not when he was amazing, but like when he started to pop off. So like prime Kyle Corver. That. All right, I I don't know if I agree with you on that one. I think Lamelo is going to be too greedy. I don't know if he can maintain a. A job as the first option. Uh, on that Hornets team, I think he can. Once that rookie contract expires, if he's not keeping management happy, and if Gordon Hayward gets traded. Oh, yeah, Gordon Hayward's team, on the Hornets, isn't he? Gordon Hayward's on the Hornets on a five-year deal. If he gets traded or if he retires, Lamelo has zero players to work with. I mean, Gordon, Gordon Hayward last year, I, the, the performance was did not live up to the expectation after the no, injury. He, he used to be an elite player. And now he's yeah I don't I don't want to say anything bad but he's not he's not the greatest anymore you know he used to be amazing after the broken hand injury or the leg or whatever it was the broken leg, um, you know expect expectations were high very high and you know kind of didn't roll up yeah I totally agree with you there. Uh, but I think so like I was saying, Bournemouth would retire or leave the team somehow. Lamelo's gonna have no one to work with. You know what I'm saying? So. Lamelo Ball being that first option on that team, trying to sustain the first option while not making the playoffs, missing the playoffs in that that mediocre division. Um, I'd say um, there's some top heavy teams in that division as well. I'd I'd like to add on it once his yeah. rookie contract expires. I say, you know, I I feel like Lamelo himself is not happy. Being on the Hornets after he plays that first year, I feel like he'll try to find you know a better team, better team to work with, to I work agree around. With you. 
I think and... I think you could put Portland as a replacement for Carmelo when he leaves. What's your yeah? Carmelo Carmelo's Carmelo's getting very old. Um, still still a talent, but not as much as nearly prime Melo. I think having posters that say the Mellows on them, Carmelo Anthony and Lamelo Ball like back to back, maybe. I think that could be a real season ticket money maker for Portland. Uh, that'll keep ownership happy, and. I think in general he can fill that spot once Carmelo leaves, or Carmelo could come off behind him. I think he could yeah. be a CJ McCollum level player. I never thought about that mellow on mellow thing. That could that could really make a could make that, that could that could that could make headlines. That could make some money. Yeah, that's a sports center topic right there. That's that's on part of my take. That's on everything, right there. It's on porno show. That's. Yeah, man, that I mean, I think that's great for Portland. If they can somehow bring in Melo, I think the only the biggest problem that they're gonna have to deal with is uh is Lavar. Yeah. Or or uh, the Lakers. <laughs> Lavar. The Lakers he could fit the Lakers system. Obviously they're a three and D team and Lamelo is a three and D type player. He can make he can make plays, he can pass. He's like LeBron. I think he could be a good player to come off the bench come off the bench behind LeBron. I think he's good enough to do that. I think he's good enough to make that Lakers roster. If he makes that Lakers roster, that the Lakers bench will be amazing and the I just I just say I'd like to say that now if the Lakers somehow acquire LaMelo Ball anytime in their future if LaMelo plays out good in the NBA, that, that's amazing. Like, already amazing management. But uh, also, I'd like to bring up unfortunate, unfortunate um, for the Lakers, AD has left. You know, LeBron could not do that with AD. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I think I'm giving LeBron max three more years in the league. That's maximum. He's already been in the league for 17 years. So if he gets a 20-year career, that's insane. That's like top, what, one or two percentile of players get to their 20th year. No, not it. even, bro. Playing at the playing at the level that LeBron has all these years and being able to follow up on that, you know, prodigy status. I think he could be not only a good player to play with Melo, I th- think not only it could be a great system to fit Melo, but there are some amazing players on the team that could be great uh, mentors, like veterans on the team that could be amazing mentors for Melo. Yeah, um... Uh, I don't really have much to add on that, but um, I think Lamelo is a great player. Uh, oh, hundred percent. I, I, I think I think he'll be with the other rookies. He'll. I want also. He can be top of the pack. What I, what I want to touch up on is Anthony David. I mean Anthony Edwards. Edwards. Anthony Edwards. Yep. First round pick. You know, amazing talent going to the Timberwolves. I believe. Definitely. I'd like to say I'd like to say better talent than Lamelo Ball. I think he can really fit that. Yeah, I, I would say that easily. Because he, he's got a shot and he's got an amazing drive. I think he I'd fits say, that Timberwolf roster perfectly. I'd like Carmelo to see it. It's, it's, the, it's, no. like, it's like, I feel like Carmelo, if he, sorry, he's going to get that Zion Carmelo hype. If, if people people figure out the, this man's talent, he's going to get that Zion hype, you know, because Zion, 
you know, not, not, no one really known him, knew him as a shooter, but Anthony Anthony Edwards could hit down that shot from three. And Anthony Edwards, I think, is an amazing player. I think he's a combination of Carl Anthony Towns. Sorry, I said Carmelo earlier. And Carl, Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell. And, and if he can follow up on that, like you said, Zion level height. I don't know if there is Zion level height for Anthony Edwards, but I he, there's Zion level potential there in my eyes. I think it was an amazing pick by the Timberwolves, and that could potentially be the next big three in the NBA if D'Angelo Russell develops a little bit more, and if Anthony Edwards can follow up on that hype, if he can, follow, if he can like show not only potential, but if he can show that he can follow up on that potential, and he's not just a sitter, if he's not just like a bench player, then I think that could be an amazing team. But on the other end of the spectrum. He could be an Anthony Bennett and just float around teams. Because Anthony Bennett looks like a perfect pick when he got taken. Hold on, please. Now we're Anthony Bennett. Sure. But, um, sorry about that, you know. Pesco yeah. Brothers. Yeah, oh, my God. I literally told them, don't come in, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, um yeah, I'd like to say Anthony Edwards. I'd, I'd say... If lives up to the hype, could be better than Zion, one hundred percent. Because I think if Zion develops a shot, I I put him on the same level as LeBron. I just want to say that. Oh no, you're going too far, man. No, 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 sorry, not on the same level. Same pick as LeBron. And I have one more place that I think Melo can go, but I want you to finish what you were saying. Yeah, but um, yeah, I'd like to say that uh, um. What's what's his, uh, Anthony Edwards? Yeah. You know, could be better than Zion because if he forms a shot, then you know it's over because he's a deadly, deadly man in the paint, deadly man in, from range. You know, that'd be amazing. Lockdown on defense as well. Yeah, he's amazing. Um, around the perimeter and at the rim as well. Yeah, he can finish at the rim as well as uh, at the line. But what I was gonna say, so the last system that I think Lamelo could fit. Uh, I don't know if a lot of people are looking at this team. I think they're extremely underrated going into this season, but the Clippers, I think having I... no fans did a lot for Paul George and Kawhi negatively. It negatively, Im- negatively impacted their performance. But if there is fans, because they feed off that energy, even though Kawhi is that weird guy who eats apples at restaurants, he feeds off that energy, right? Like, you, we've seen him hyped up. Like after he hit that shot over Joel Embiid, we've seen him excited. We've seen him, like you know, come out of his shell, and that's the crowd made him come out of his shell, and he really performed. Yeah, I'd like to say you know, crowd was not the nicest to say the least to Paul George over the yeah, um so that could be postseason, and yeah. um, you know. Him hitting a few shots, playoff Paul George. I mean, the performance Pandemic. wasn't the great. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be completely honest. Yeah, obviously. Performance, yeah. performance wasn't what you know Paul George is known for. I'd but... say number five was Clippers management. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to say you know Paul George definitely, you know, has has the talent to get out of that name and the talent to um get out of that name and um yeah. I think that. Um, I think that, uh, we could really make a living off this. I think so. Uh, I have no clue what you said. Uh, so next up. Yeah, neither do I, dude. My brother's talking to me. So I want to talk a little bit about Tyreek Hill. 
and his insane performance the other day in fantasy. Um, I played a guy. I played against him in fantasy. Uh, the guy. Oh, I have Tyree Kill. Fifty-one point. 57. 57, 56 points if you play uh, PPG. Wait, what's it called? PPG? I don't even know, dude. I just play, I just play ESPN Fantasy 10-player yeah, um, ten, um, ten league. Yeah, but that's – I mean, he absolutely went off. I don't think anyone really expected him to – Wait, when was the last yes, time ma'am. he did that? What was the last time he was active? Like a year ago, right? He po- he posted yeah, he posted a YouTube video. I think like eleven months ago. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I was a big fan of that guy. Wow, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, he's he's live streaming right now. So after this, I will be uh, tuning into that. All right, well, you gotta let me know how that goes. But um, yeah, I'd like to say yeah, I just like to say um. Yeah, I think the talent in the NBA, the rookie talent, is really going to show off this year. I think that, you know, Anthony Edwards, you could also compare to John Morant as well. Big finisher at the rim, big shooter on the perimeter. Uh, talk about John Morant and that finish over Aaron Baines in the yeah. that one game. That is a poster. That will be in the books for a Absolutely. while. One, one player that I want to talk about that really got passed up on the draft fell all the way to Washington. I think they really got to steal with Danny Ajita. Never heard of him. Yeah, exactly. Uh Seventh overall pick should have gone first overall or second overall. Actually, no, he should have gone second overall. That was an amazing pick by uh, the Timberwolves. You know, Anthony Edwards really fits their system. I think that was a good pick by them. But I want to talk about Danny Abdita. He's coming in from Israel. He, uh, I think, EuroLeague MVP last year. Don't quote me on that because I could be wrong. But uh, he's an amazing player. I just want to say that. He's a great player. He's going to fit DC well. And I think yeah. a massive sleeper pick. I think him, John Wall, John Wall, Denny Abjita, and uh, and Bradley Beal could be a nasty trio in the league for years to come. Yeah, I'd like to add on with that. Yep. You know, European players, Dirk Nowitzki, all these guys, the best the players of all time. But lots of, lots of, lots of, uh, lots of yeah, busts from the European. Dirk, Dirk Nowitzki, but then. On the other end of the spectrum, we got Darko Milicic. Yeah, we we you know Luka Luka Doncic, high high talent, um, out of the country. We you know there's these lots of high talents out of the country. Um, but then there's also that one great player out of for every ten players that are busts. True. Yeah. But the thing is, I would say one great player out of every hundred busts. Right. So. If you're fighting for a spot in the NBA roster, then Danny Abjita, Danny like I just said, you're only going to keep. Uh, he's been an all-star for every year of his career over the EuroLeague, and his dad uh, is a very, very big name. Um, all-star appearances. I don't think he won any MVPs or anything ridiculous like that, but he definitely made a few all-star games. I think Oh, yeah. As well. I don't know. I could be wrong. But, you know, so moving on to this guy that you're talking about, let's hear some about this man. What's he good at? Danny Abjita, he can shoot, he can finish at the rim. I mean, I think he has amazing tendencies, just like Luka Doncic. I mean, he, he can finish at the rim, he can shoot. He's a, a little bit below average defender. You can get that defensive, you know, if you can get that defense up, then, like, that defensive skill set. 
you can tell he has potential to be an amazing defensive player. If he can get the, he has a skill. He has the skill set of Luka Doncic. He has the bag of Luka Doncic. But the thing is, is he gonna perform? Because the crowds. Have you seen videos of your league games? The crowds are look like summer league games. Or G League games. Like there's like there's zero people there. But what I'm saying is like. They have to adapt to the yeah, fans. Yeah, he has to adapt to the fans. And Eagle's never really been a problem with him, but I think underconfidence is going to be his main issue in the NBA. Maybe defense, because playing against these elite players. What did Giannis average last year? Like, fucking, freaking, 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 <laughs> freaking, freaking, sorry. Like, I don't even know. Like, 30 points a game, almost. And... Danny of Jita's guarding guys that average twelve points a game, right? So this is a like this is a big, big transition for him. I know we're also but on the other hand, we're also comparing, you know, le- next legend to some European player who has potential. So yeah. I think we shouldn't get too far, you know, all of the average NBA players are averaging yeah, like fifteen yeah. a game. So he might be a bit below the average, but yeah, yeah. I'd say it's still pretty solid. I'd say so as well. Uh I mean, obviously, the Wizards, they already have two good. I think he shows very, 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 very close sentences to, uh, to, what's his name? Sorry, I'm forgetting his name. Uh, Luca? Yeah, Luca, but also to John Wall. John Wall, sorry. Yeah, John Wall, his teammate now, uh, I think he shows great tendencies, the same tendencies as him. And sorry, I'm pulling this up now. Twenty, Giannis averaged uh, twenty nine point six points a game last year. But sorry, that's not, I just need to say that. But uh, yeah, so he's coming in. He's gonna have to play defense against these random, these, like not random guys. These absolutely big names coming in from playing defense against these random, coming in from playing defense against these random guys. Right, so he's playing defense against no names. Now he's playing defense against Giannis Antetokounmpo. One of the greatest all time. Yeah. LeBron James, you know, all these great players. If he, I think he shows tendencies kind of like Donovan Mitchell. Like I've already said, John Wall, Luka Doncic. I think Donovan Mitchell could be someone that, like, this, displays the same uh, playing style as he does. But, I don't know. I think he's just a massive sleeper and he's kind of uh Lots of potential? Yeah. I mean, I think you could have. I, I don't even know where I'm tripping over my words here. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, I think he is one of the biggest sleepers in the draft, if not the biggest sleeper in the draft, because yeah. he is an amazing player. And I think that if he doesn't, um, if he doesn't perform. I'm gonna be extremely surprised. Yeah, I agree. You know, I actually do not know who this man is, but from what I'm hearing, sounds amazing. All right, well, that's all I really you know. have to talk about today. If you're, uh, if you're still, if you're a busy man, you can hop, hop off. Thanks for having, thanks for uh, coming on. All right, no problem. Right, thanks so much. See Hope to see you again. See uh, hey Matt. Hey Andy, what's going on? Uh, it's not much in here. Uh, hey guys. So today's. Special guest, we got Matt Antonelli, former MLB player, played for the Padres and a couple of years in the minors as well. Uh, for the Padres, 
the Nationals, Baltimore, Yankees, and Cleveland. Uh, he also owns a professional, sorry, youth uh, sports facility in the greater Boston area. Uh, Matt, first question today, I just want to have you just kind of briefly tell me your story, kind of like where you're from, what it was like battling through the minors, and what it was like once you got to the MLB. That's for thing. So, uh, so I grew up in uh, a little north of Boston, about 20 minutes north of Boston, and uh, went to high school here, ended up going to college down in North Carolina, Forest University, um, got drafted out of, uh, out of Wake Forest, Back uh, feels like a hundred years ago. It was two thousand six. <laughs> yeah. uh, so got drafted by the Padres, um, and uh, worked my way up through the minor leagues. Took me two years to get to uh, to the in my destiny. So, guess um, I worked my way up. Sorry, Matt, back down to the minors, and then I uh, I did away a trip. Yeah, a couple of years in Triple A there. Yeah, so I play end up playing more AAA ball than any other level um, in the minors or the major leagues, and uh, and did that until 2013. And then during the yeah. season, I was with the Indians, and they ended up releasing me. And uh, that's when I got out of baseball as far as playing and got into coaching. Yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, so first, like question, question I have. So back in 2006, you were playing, uh, I think, a ball. Uh, what I have is you had zero home runs, and then next year in A plus ball, you jumped to twenty one home runs. Was yep. that more of like a, was that like a mental thing that you improved on, or was that like certain physical aspects yeah. that you worked on in the off season? Yeah, there was a couple of things. So um, the first thing is that first season that I hit no home runs. I don't mm-hmm. remember the exact amount of games I played, but it was a it was uh, a short season. I think maybe yeah, it was only like 50 games. Yeah. 50 games. So still zero home runs in 50 games is not very good. Um, but uh, so it was, it was a couple of different things. Actually. The first thing was uh, approach wise. I had to get more aggressive. They had me hitting in the three spot and mm-hmm. I was hitting like a leadoff guy. I think I might've been either the league leader or high in the league and on base percentage. So I was walking yeah. a ton um, but I wasn't slugging at all. So that was a problem. And, and we worked on that for the following year. Um, and then other changes I made was I actually went to a lighter, smaller bat. Uh, it was my first time mm-hmm. using, well, I guess I used wood in, in the Cape Cod league and in college, but for some reason, when I got drafted, I went and played and, uh, and they said, what kind of bat do you want? I said, I don't know. I don't know anything really about bats. And so they gave me a bat that was looking back was way too big. And I think I struggled to, be able to create the bat speed I wanted. So that following year, I, I went to a smaller, lighter bat, and I noticed it immediately. My first BP with it, I was hitting the ball so much further and so much harder. So I think that helped. Um, and then just, I think, getting better. I, my swing mechanics were just really locked in that year. Not that I, like, set out to, to, to make them be those specific mechanics, but I just kind mm-hmm. of found my swing in spring training and uh, the ball started jumping, and I was just able to kind of keep that consistent throughout the year. So I think all of that helped. And then, uh, and then the final thing was that first year when you get drafted out of college, it's weird. You play, uh, it doesn't seem long, um, but when you're in college, it is, you know, it was like a 60 something game season and then you take a week off and then you go right to pro ball. And so um, I had a tendency to lose like a lot of weight during the season. I think I'd lost like 20 pounds, maybe more, maybe 30 pounds during the college year. And so when I got the pro ball in the summer, I was like exhausted and the season was just starting. So I think that hurt a little bit too. So those are really probably the, the main yeah. reasons. 
Yeah, like you just talked about, you were very you had a very high OBP that year in two thousand six. You your on base percentage was uh four twenty six. And then the next year your on base percentage was four oh four, but your on base uh plus slugging increased almost a hundred points or uh yeah, a hundred points because mm-hmm. I think yeah, obviously the twenty twenty one home runs yep. would help that. Uh so also what I want to talk about uh, what it was like, you know, transitioning from, like you talked about the Cape Cod League. Did you go there uh, before, like you went in between your uh, college seasons, right? Yep. Yeah. So I went twice. I went uh, after my freshman year of college and then after my sophomore year. Yeah. So was, do you think the competition in the Cape Cod League was uh, harder or not necessarily harder or softer, but what were some differences in yes. like play style and also talent? Sure. Um, the, well, the first biggest thing is that it's a wood bat league. You're used to playing in, in a metal, you know, college's metal. And so you make that adjustment. Um, but really, like the Cape Cod League for me felt almost kind of like a, it felt like an all star game that just continued for an entire summer. Um, yeah. You know, most of that league, I would say, if you go back and look at the draft of college players being drafted, I would say almost all of the high picks were playing in that league. And so, you know, most nights you're facing, you're facing great, great pitching. I mean, um, you know, Andrew Miller, Daniel Bard. Um, sorry if you hear my kids screaming right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Tim Lincecum, like all the high picks from that year, I mean, yeah. you're facing them day in and day out in the Cape. And so it's an adjustment. I mean, I played in the ACC in college, which is a great conference, but you're not facing those type of guys every single night out there. And so yeah. – um, you know, there are no easy nights and you're, you're facing those guys while adjusting to a new, you know, a new bat in your hand. And, um, you know, the Cape Cod League is interesting. You're playing mostly on, I don't know if they would be considered high school fields, but let's just say like the lighting at night is not the best. And so you're dealing yeah. with that. So it is not a hitting league. It's not an offensive league. And, uh, and so it really does prepare you and, and gets you, you know, if you're a hitter, You've got to come out of that league. Sometimes you come out with a bruised ego and, you know, not the most confident. Yeah. But I do think it does help prepare you for what life as a professional player is going to be like. Yeah. I, me personally, I love the Cape Cod League. I went to almost all the Harwich Mariners games yep. uh, last year before season this year sadly got canceled. Uh, the stats from those games, the batting averages and on-base percentages were not very high. Yep. But I would, I would always – take a seat right next to uh, the bullpen when in game because uh obviously yeah like you said it's not a very offensive league because i'd go you know before games i'd watch the batting practice these guys are capable of hitting it out like they uh white house field where the mariners play it's 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 not that deep but it's deep enough to the point where you got to try to get it out of there oh yeah and uh and they so they're definitely capable of it but on the Mariners last year, we had two of the hardest thrown pitches in the league, the hardest thrown pitcher, and another guy that could do like ninety nine to a hundred consistently. Yeah. And these kids are all like freshmen, sophomores in college, like you said. And I just thought it was ridiculous to watch these guys. Obviously, they're gonna, well, yeah, they're gonna. So most of them are gonna blossom into good players in the minor sure. league. Some of them might make the. Big league, so I've I got a lot of stuff signed by them because I know that's probably will go for a lot someday. It's awesome, but uh, yeah. So Cape Cod League. Also, I want to talk about uh, your experience in the majors. Uh, there are tw- twenty one games. 
You had 11 hits and only uh, 57 plate appearances. Yep. Uh, on paper, that doesn't sound that good to someone who's not a baseball fan. Sure. Baseball fan, being my baseball fan, being a baseball fan myself, that's not bad. And uh, your batting average, I, I don't want to make you feel bad here. But it wasn't too high. Um, sure. But, yeah, it was – I was just uh, a little bit confused on not that many strikeouts, not that many walks either. Yep. Uh, what was it like facing pitching? I think because I think obviously pitching the main reason, also ego sometimes, but pitching is the main reason why guys can't hit uh, consistently at different levels. Yep. Uh, I want to talk about what it was like transitioning from guys, just kids out of college in the minor leagues to guys making millions of dollars every year in the majors. Sure. So, uh, so there's no doubt the major leagues is a different animal than any of the minor league spots that you're going to, you know, you're, you're in the major leagues. I talked about how the Cape Cod league, you're going to face studs every night while in the big leagues you face, you know, you face major league studs every night you face, you know, all stars and, and even guys that are, you know, guys that are that most the average fan would say, oh, that wasn't a very good pitcher. If he's in the major leagues and he's and he's pitching in a big league yeah. uniform, he's pretty damn good. And so, yeah, um, so so that's definitely different. Um, I'll say for me, you know, it's really interesting. If you look at my career, I had such an odd career where I had um, I had years where I had very good years. And then I had some years where I had really bad years. And, uh, you know, it wasn't like I was a consistent uh, 275 hitter, I would hit either 300 or I'd hit low two hundreds. And, mm-hmm. um, so there's a lot, like we could literally talk for hours probably about some of the reasons, but, um, the, the main thing is that, uh, I had trouble keeping a consistent swing over the years. And some of that had to do with injury. Some of that had to do with just for whatever reason, my swing mechanics, it was tough for me to maintain from one year to the next. And so, um, you know, when I, the way I explain it, because a lot of people say, yeah, you know, you couldn't hit major league pitching. And, uh, you know, I usually say you're you're right in those 57 at bats or whatever it was, I didn't hit it. Um, But it's also a really small sample size. So uh, my my thought is, I always explain it like this. If the way I swung in, in 2000, and seven, if I had taken that swing into the major leagues, I felt really confident that I could hit and hit well. Um, if I right take now. my, you know, if I take my bad swing, if I take my 2008 swing, my triple A year in 2008, I hit like 220 something, I think. And so I went to the major leagues with a swing that I wasn't super confident with. And, you know, in those small amount of at bats, I didn't do well. And so um, that's the way it goes. But hey, I'll say this the, the reason that guys are very successful. The guys that you see in the big leagues year in and year out that are great players, they've been able to consistently keep their swing where they need it to be successful. And that is a huge, that is tough. And it's a huge skill and and an ability that those guys have that I wasn't able to consistently do, unfortunately. And so, you know, that's why I coach now. (laughs) (laughs) So, Uh, yeah. So I was, yeah, like, like you said, the best guys are able to keep a consistent swing. I, I've been looking at film of like David Ortiz from first couple of years with the Twins. It wasn't the same as his first couple of years with the Red Sox. Obviously, it wasn't mm-hmm. that great in Minnesota. But uh, I see his first couple of years with the Red Sox. His swing is almost exactly the same as his last one or two years. Yep. In Boston, I think it. I think that's one of the signs of one of that's how you're going to maintain greatness, uh, especially at a high level. I struggle personally with 
keeping a consistent swing, and I'm only facing guys that top out at like 70 miles an hour. Sure. So, obviously, trying to hit guys that top out at 100 miles an hour, keeping a consistent swing, must be a very big problem or a very big, uh, I guess, task. Without a doubt. I think that's why I'm always, you know, I'm amazed at players that, you know, like you said, the David Ortiz's and the Manny Ramirez's and the Alex Rodriguez and, and, you know, those guys that are able to do what they do. It is amazing to be able to do at that level. Um, you know, I'm in awe of those guys. Uh, yeah. Uh, so one thing I wanted to say, I know I follow your YouTube channel personally, but I know you made a video on how COVID impacted uh, minor league players. And for, I just want you, just a brief, if you could give me kind of just a brief summary of that video, because I know a lot of people who listen to this don't watch you. I think it was, sure. you did a really good job talking about that. Just if you could give me like a brief summary of it. Yeah, sure thing. So, um, I mean, I've made a ton of videos, uh, especially when everything got shut down. And, you yeah. know, our, our program, we weren't able to do anything for about four months. And so I had a lot of time on my hand and was able to, uh, you know, I tried to follow what was going on at the minor league and the major league level. And so I made a lot of videos. I don't know exactly which one um, you're talking about, but I can tell you, uh, as I think with most walks of life, uh, COVID has you know, changed a lot of stuff. And, and for minor league guys, especially, um, you know, there's been a lot of changes. They didn't have a season. And so I can't imagine what it's like right now to be a minor league player. And, and a lot of them didn't do anything uh, this past year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of guys were released. Um, there's some changes going on in the minor leagues as far as uh, not having as many teams as we've had over, you know, the last however many years. And so it's definitely a transition period. Um, you know, we've got, not that we have a ton of local professional players being from Massachusetts, but we do have some, and we have some that work out, um, you know, in our, where we work out. And so being able to see those guys and, and know that they're, you know, the most important time of their life, they finally reached their dream of being a professional player and they're not really able to do what they were hoping is, uh, is tough, but I know a lot of guys are still grinding it out and hoping that hopefully this spring we get back on the field again and, yeah. and are able to play. Um, but there, at the same time, there have been some other changes in the positive direction. I know that a lot of teams have started to pay minor leaguers uh, more money than, uh, than they've gotten in the past. And I've made a lot of videos about how poorly the minor leaguers get paid. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think that will be a positive, but we'll see what happens. Um, you know, I think there's still obviously a little ways to go to get through this whole thing. And, and hopefully baseball is back and minor league baseball is back and everyone can do it safely. Yeah, like you said, uh, yeah, minor leagues, minor league players don't get paid that much. They got paid pretty, pretty poorly, and I, I know it surprises a lot of people because they get draft like big names get drafted and they get a big signing bonus. But guys that fall to the the third, fourth round, they're gonna get like a very small signing bonus if they even get one, and then they gotta live off like maybe a thousand dollars a month, mm-hmm. and then obviously traveling all the time. It's it's tough. It's tough. It's a grind. It, it definitely is. And uh, it's hard to, it's hard to, to appreciate it um, unless you are really there doing it every day. I try to talk to people all the time and they always say, well, baseball's fun and it's a game and you should love it, which I think every player that plays it does, but that's not um, to say that there aren't challenges and it is difficult when you're, 
you know, especially like you said, if you're a player that doesn't get a signing bonus and you're only getting paid around a thousand dollars a month, but that's only the season, the months that you play. So you play a six month season or in the minors a five month season, you're making $5,000 a year. Yeah. Um, and you have to pay for housing. You have to pay for food, obviously. And you're supposed to be a professional athlete. Uh, that is, um, I think most people don't understand that. I remember when I got drafted and uh, I started talking to people back home, they said, you know, what do minor leaguers get paid a year? And I said, take a guess. And the, the guesses were like 500,000, 700,000. I'm like, what are we, ta- I'm like, what are we yeah. talking about? I'm like, I, I said, minor leaguers in a year, like in short, when I first got drafted, you're making anywhere from a thousand to 1200 a month. So like I said, it's like yeah. five, $6,000 for a year. And then those players are getting jobs in the off season, you know, bagging groceries or doing whatever. And so um, I don't think a lot of people understand exactly how it works. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm definitely not talking from experience here. So I'm not going to pretend like I know what it's like to live off like a grand a month, but <laughs> obviously, yeah, like you said, these guys are professional athletes. They got to focus a lot on their body. Yep. Uh, they got to focus a lot on their health. And when they're trying to pay for food, housing, and then maybe sometimes a gym membership <laughs> off of like at like planet fitness for like nine bucks a month uh, for a year, that's like, that's almost no money left over. So you got to, I mean, like I said, I don't know what it's like personally, but it's it's got to be tough. And then, obviously, you you did make it to the to the league. Uh, can you just tell me kind of what it was like when you got either the call or you got called into the office, and then your coach told you like you're going to the big leagues? Yeah, sure. So um, that year was like I was saying that was actually one of my worst years as a professional. I was hitting, you know, two twenty, I think, and uh, yeah, I, I actually yeah two fifteen, <laughs> and. Uh, so I, I struggled for most of the year, but I actually was starting to swing the bat better that last month. I think I hit around 300 the last month. And so I was feeling better, but I never expected that I would actually get called up. And so yeah. when I got called into the office, I thought, um, I kind of thought my manager was going to say, man, that was, you know, a crappy, a crappy year, but try to keep your head up and, uh, you know, get working towards next year. And then I sat down and he said, congrats, uh, uh you're going up to the big leagues. And I, I, if I saw my facial expression, I thought my mouth was probably wide open, um, <laughs> but I was excited and uh, obviously and got out and called my parents and then called my wife. And uh, and the next morning I woke up early, uh, Wade LeBlanc, who is one of my you know closest friends and teammates, uh, we yeah. got called up on the same day. So we both jumped on a plane together and, and oh. flew to L.A. and made uh, made our debut that night. That's that's great. So you got called into the office and then made your debut later that night. That's so, crazy. So I got so I got called in. I actually yep. got called in. We had a game in Tacoma, Washington, um, against the Tacoma Renairs, I think they were. And um that was actually I don't remember the time. That was probably uh, the game probably ended at like four or five o'clock. And so they told me that night and then we went back, packed up went to bed, woke up super early in the morning. We caught like a, I don't know, like a 6.30 flight to LA. And then when we landed, we went over to the stadium and I didn't expect to play. I thought I'd just get in and watch the first game. But uh, Buddy Black, I went into his his office and he said, uh, he said, you're starting tonight at second base. And so I I went out there and played. (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So this this one was actually recommended to me by someone else. Uh, He wants to know how you feel. Obviously, Hitting a major league home run is no easy feat. Like we, you, like I feel like a lot of people can't emphasize enough how hard it is. In my opinion, the hardest thing in sports to hit. 
100 mile an hour fastball. It's not like I've seen it before, but <laughs> uh, obviously, on a lot of professionals' opinions, some of the hardest stuff in sports, and to take one like 300 feet or 320, 330, like that's no easy task. Uh, and at the major league level, especially. So, what is it like? What was your feeling jogging around the bases after hitting that home run? Yeah, it felt um, so. I hit. <laughs> So a lot of people joke with me. I hit my only, my first and only home run at Coors Field. And people yeah. say, well, it doesn't count with the thin air. So some people still say I have zero home runs. But um, I say I don't care which park I hit it in. It went over the fence. That's all I care. Mm-hmm. So um, so it actually, it felt great because I, uh, I was struggling at that point um, going into Colorado. And then, uh, and then I started to kind of hit better there. And I hit that home run. And it wasn't... Uh, I mean, as a professional, I don't know how many home runs I hit, maybe like 50 or 60 or uh, somewhere around there. Yeah, around 50, 60. Yeah, and that was probably – I would say that was probably the shortest home run I hit as a professional, maybe. It mm-hmm. went out barely. There was a, a guy standing right up against the fence, and he almost reached over the fence to catch it. It's really close. And so, <sighs> um, you know, I, I didn't get to really enjoy it because I hit it, and I was sprinting around first base, and then I kind of – you, know, you just kind of can tell by the reaction of the fans what happened. I didn't see it go out. Yeah. Um, but you know, obviously, when you when it when you know it went out and you start jogging around the bases, uh, you're pretty excited. But I don't know if I thought at the time anything different about it. I just felt like, thank God that ball went out and I got another hit because yeah. I'm I'm grinding away trying to stay in the major leagues. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, thinking back, I know that um, I have uh, I have video of it uh, from the TV broadcast, and you can see when I like uh, when I cross home plate and give a high five to some of my guys, it looks like I've got like a little smirk, and I'm trying not to smile too much. So I was definitely <laughs> excited. Yeah, if I was in your position, that's definitely what I, you know, would have been trying to do. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So yeah, f- f- like you were talking about, you had, you hit almost 50 home runs professionally. I don't think anyone can really emphasize how uh, difficult that is. Do you have any specific pointers for younger guys in particular? What's one thing that people emphasize, like work on too hard, and then something that is less talked about that should be worked on a little bit more if you want to develop into a better hitter? Sure. So, um, well, I'll say this. I think the biggest thing and the most important thing, if you want to hit um, consistently is you've got to be able to put the bat on the ball and, and make hard contact. I think it starts with that. And so if you can make hard contact, then you've got a chance to, you know, play at a higher level. Um, obviously you need to have some bat speed. Um, and so it's, it's not all just about being able to put the ball in play and make contact, but I think it starts from there. So I always, the first thing I always talk to guys about is, understanding what your bat's doing through the hitting zone. And so once you know what your bat path is doing, that can kind of, um, that can help you, uh, make adjustments. It can help you realize, okay, what, you know, am, is, is my swing working right now? Or is it not one thing when I was a player, we didn't talk about bat path a whole lot. It sounds crazy, but you know, I just hit and I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know what my bat was doing. I didn't know anything. Yeah. Uh, until I didn't hit. And then I was like, you know, what do I do now? And people would say, well, just go back to doing what you were doing before. And I was like, well, I don't know what I was doing before. I just was hitting. So mm-hmm. I think having a good understanding of your swing, what your bat path is doing, that'll help you, um, again, make adjustments. And if you're getting out, that'll help you understand a little bit of why are you getting out. And then, you know, you got to understand what you're doing wrong 
um, to be able to fix it. And so I think that's probably the biggest thing is bat path, being able to square the ball up. And then from there, um, you know, there's specific mechanics. And we talked, like you said, you said you saw our YouTube page and I try to hit on that because everybody wants to hit for power. Everybody wants more bat speed. And again, I think it's important. Um, but I would, I think if you can start off by squaring the ball up and then you can slowly build up to um, learning how to use your body a little bit better, how to create a little bit more bat speed, how to get bigger and stronger. And then, and then the power will start to come um, after that. But that's what I would say. I think a lot of players get worried sometimes when they're younger, they want to hit tons of homers and hit yeah. tons of power and they start to get out of whack a little bit and they start chasing, you know, they start chasing power instead of developing a swing um, that'll, that'll, you know, allow you to make more consistent contact. I tell our yeah. guys, it's not about how far you can hit it. It's about how often you can hit it far. And so I would start with that. Mm. Um, and then, you know, and then branch off and continue to build the power as you go. Yeah. All right. So sorry, I've been holding you for so long here. Last question. Uh, you're good. What was it like, you know, going down to AAA and then realizing, I don't know if time, I don't know if this was true for you, but what I've heard from other guys is that time kind of flew when they went down and they real they well they realized but they didn't realize how fast it was going by. They were in the triple A after getting moved down from the league for like three, four years and it yep. just felt like a couple seasons. Can you tell me what it was like when you realize when you were like, Wow, I've been I I haven't been in the league in a while. Still in the high levels in the minors. I don't I don't wanna like trash talk triple A. It's triple A nope. hard to play, but uh can you just talk a little bit about on can you talk a little bit about how, like, like why you what encouraged you to keep playing? Yeah, yeah, sure. No, so the way you describe it is right. Um, I'll say this: a couple things about AAA is uh, when you're in the minor leagues, the the higher you go in the minors, the better things get. And so, you know, when you're in the low minor leagues, the bus trips stink, the buses stink, mm-hmm. the food stinks. I, I say stink, but yeah, I, I, it's true. It's I mean, you're eating peanut butter and jelly every single day, and yeah. I eat peanut butter and jelly. Yeah. And so, um, so when you get to AAA, finally, you think AAA when you haven't gone to the major leagues is amazing. You're like, wow, this is the great greatest level of all time if I play here the rest of my career it'll be okay and yeah. then, then you go to the major leagues and you realize what the major leagues is like and then when you go back to AAA you're like this is terrible like I can't stay here like I got to get back to the major leagues and so it's all perspective um and so when I went back to the to AAA like I wanted to get the hell out of there obviously I wanted to get back to to the major leagues yeah, again ever. um but yeah, I grinded away for a little while. I mean, I, I was in, so I got called up in 2008 and then I went down to the minors in 2009. I was actually hurt for a lot of nine. I had such a weird career. I was hurt for a lot of nine in 2010. I missed the entire season with a broken hand and wrist surgery. Um, and then, so in 2011, I'm in AAA now at the nationals. I played really well, thought I'd get called up and didn't, yeah. uh, in 2012, I went to the Orioles, was in AAA, didn't do great. Got sent to the Yankees in AAA, didn't do great. Then I went to the Indians in AAA the next year. And so, um, it actually, it didn't feel like I was, you know, I, everything was always new. Cause I started switching teams all the time. Um, yeah, and so okay. every year was different. Yeah, and in the three-year span, sorry to cut you off. In a three-year nope. span here, you played for four different teams, and before that, you'd only been signed to Washington and the Padres. Yeah, so you know, it wasn't like I don't feel like my career 
I never felt like I was stuck in, in a spot forever. And I was just, you know, wasting away there because I was always switching teams. Um, and I always felt like I had, uh, for most of my career, I felt like I had the ability to get back to the major leagues. Um, and it never really happened. Um, but I think the chase of trying to get back there and feeling like there was some hope that I could do it, um, it made it feel really fresh and, and I never felt like it was, it was very stale. And then, and then the other thing was my injuries kind of, you know, I was always, I was always having issues with this, my left hand and wrist, um, you know, I've had like three or four surgeries or four surgeries, I think all together on it. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I didn't, I think I missed like half of my, my games in my career, um, because of injury. And so, uh, while I'm in it, maybe it didn't feel like it was going super fast, but looking back, like when I stopped playing, I was like, man, I played for like eight years and it yeah. felt like I was playing for like, you know, 10 and a half minutes. It just felt yeah. really fast. It was, it was really a strange feeling. Yeah. For, um, for, for playing for 18 years, sorry, not 18 years, eight years. Uh, you only played in, in total 555 games, which is not like a tiny amount of games it's a lot of time uh but that's for eight over a span of eight years 555 games is definitely not you know how many total games are gonna get played no without a doubt I th yeah I think it I think I did the math and it was almost like half of my career was spent on the DL and so uh so yeah that probably, that's probably why it felt like it went so fast for me because I didn't actually you know I should have probably played in like a thousand games or something like that during that time around there yeah yeah, well, all right, that's that's all I've, I really had. If you have something that you wanted to bring up, uh, uh, I'm, a, I'm a lot of ideas. Nope, nope, that was uh, – I appreciate it. Thank you, and uh, yeah, thanks for so having much. me on. Where, where are you from, by the way? Uh, I'm from right outside of Boston, like a five-minute okay. drive, yeah. What uh, what town are you in? Uh, Milton. Okay, yeah, yeah, good. Yeah. Um, all right, so you're not we're, – we're pretty close together. So, uh, yeah. no, I, I appreciate you having me on here, and if anyone has uh, – you know, if there's any like young players or coaches or parents or anybody that wants, mm -hmm. you know, info on baseball stuff, like you said, just go to our YouTube page, Antonelli Baseball, yeah, yeah. or uh, go to our website, AntonelliBaseball.com, and I can help kids there. And, uh, and that's it. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Have a nice day. Thank you. You too.